Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, happy holidays. It is almost time for Chris Kringle. Merry Christmas. I hope that you are enjoying your week. If you're listening to this after Christmas, you're just trying to catch up on the Suncast feed. Thank you so much. I super appreciate those of you who really do queue up and listen to every episode or, or many of them. I hope that the title of this caught your attention because you were wondering what happened at COP28. What does it matter to me? We're going to answer exactly that, but I want to give you a quick insight into the format. You see, this is a special episode. It's a segment that we've traditionally done only live from the stage of our Power Up Live stage at RE Plus called Industry Pulse. Nate Giovanelli, our host for the show, and I have discussed what would it look like if we did this fortnightly, if we brought to you the trending topics as seen through the eyes of the experts who can help interpret what it means for you in our industry. It's not a this week in clean tech. Mike Casey and John Engel do that quite well. It's not a this week in tech. Of course, that has existed for quite some time. It's more a what at the meta level is happening that I should be paying attention to and that the headlines inform. Or maybe they don't. We'll be leaving you more tidbits, links, and everything else that you need over at resourcelabs.co. If you go to resourcelabs.co, we'll have a page set up for industry polls so you can check that out. We expect at some point to spin this out as one of our podcasts within the podcast network that is resourcelabs.co. So I hope you go check it out. If you're new here to Suncast, this isn't your typical episode, but it does contain all the level of thought leadership that we like to bring to the performance, if you will. We have more than 670 episodes in our back catalog of episodes here on Suncast at mysuncast.com. You can dig in in your podcast player or over on our website to a ton of evergreen content that we've curated through the years. But this today is focused on COP28. What did we learn? What does it mean for you? We've got some special guests and this was aired live on December 20th and broadcast to my LinkedIn page and our YouTube page. Feel free to go watch it over there. But if you're going to stick around for the podcast, here we go. My name is Nico Johnson with Suncast Media and... Over there is my friend, Nate Giovanelli, Sunrise Capital. You are joining us for our first ever virtual live Industry Pulse. Nate, good to see you. Good to see you, Nico. So for guys who, uh, for all you folks who have been following along with uh, sort of Nate and I collaborating and are a part of the global renewable energy community that convenes uh, around the United States every year at an event called RE+, Nathan has hosted our Industry Pulse segment for two years running and done quite a fine job. So I asked Nate, hey, what if we took uh, the show on the road, so to speak? What if we made it virtual and we did an industry pulse as a segment of Suncast recurring every month? And who knows, maybe someday it'll become its own podcast. Nate, what do you think of that idea? I love it. And, you know, and, and what I've learned really from industry pulse, I think I get so much more out of it because, you know, we get stuck in these niches if, with what we do day to day, right? Like yeah. I, I'm very much into residential and I feel like Mm -hmm. I know a lot about that, but then some of the other stuff seems like noise. So it's interesting to bring in experts that have different perspectives and yeah. on the market in areas of expertise and interview them about, you know, what they see as trends in the industry and, and how their business is going and, and what's next. I just, I find it fascinating. Yep. And you did something this year that we hadn't done before. And it's what kind of sparked the idea for me was you, so in an effort to try and make, uh, make lemonade out of the 30 minute session I gave you instead of an hour, you were like, wait, I'm not going to call everybody up for five minutes of glory. You made it a round table discussion. You made it a panel, which I thought was a genius uh, evolution. And it made us sort of in the production side go, wait a minute, what if everybody's been saying to me, Nico, when are you going to bring round tables to Suncast? And I want to, uh, you know, it's mostly focused on executive profiles and we do our tactical Tuesdays. We go you know, deep on a specific subject matter expertise. 
but it's hard to wrangle a lot of folks and um, certainly hard to do it on a weekly basis and get into a roundtable discussion. We had our um, quarterly, which has now become like a half year podcasters roundtable that we did last week uh, with Mike Casey. But the um, the industry pulse uh, segment that you did live at um, in Vegas on the Power Up Live stage sparked for me, wait a minute, Nathan's doing it. He's doing this roundtable discussion. It's thematic based on storage or uh, sort of residential sector, et cetera. And I am a, uh, I'm a news junkie. Um, I read and like store links uh, habitually and try to go back and read them. But one of the things that we try to do in our, our newsletter is just share the copious links that I am often referencing, not just in the interviews, but in the day to day that I don't share on LinkedIn. I don't share on, on X. And so what Nate and I are going to try to do uh, in the industry pulse is bring to you not the the front page news, but the discussion around what is happening in the industry, the pulse on sort of what's happening in the industry through the headlines, but with the experts who help us interpret the headlines, right? Um, so with that in mind, Nate, should we go ahead and uh, bring up our uh, our guests for the COP28 recap episode? Absolutely. I'm excited. Fantastic. So I'm going to go ahead and in the order that I see them here in our green room, bring up Elizabeth Andrews. Hi, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is a chief development officer at New Energy Nexus. We got Tito Jankowski, the CEO of Air Miners. Brad Stutzman, CEO of O3 Energy. Steve Anglin, CEO of Utopia. Welcome to the stage, folks. Good to see you. Thanks for having us. Good to see you, Nico. Fantastic. Well, as uh, folks that listen to Suncast regularly would know, we did an episode on what the heck is COP? What does it mean? Why should you be paying attention? What does it mean for our industry? And um, actually, Brad was one of the first to reach out and be like, bro, I'm headed there. I'm on a plane and he's stuck there now. Brad, you still in, you still in Dubai? <laughs> yes, I am still in Dubai. So hopefully I'll be home before Christmas. But we're now. Yep. And, um, and, you know, Elizabeth and then Steve and then Tito all raised their hand and were like, hey, I'm headed to Dubai as well. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun? Let's get these folks in the room and figure out what actually happened. And I've got, uh, I've actually got some, uh, some visual effects for <laughs> cop. My kids were like, what is cop? What does that even mean? Is it, is it like policeman? And, uh, I thought, well, not, but I've never been. So with that, I will, uh, I'm going to hand it off to my, uh, my co-host here, Nate, and let's dig in. What is cop? Why the heck should we care? Is it really just virtual signaling? Exactly. Yeah, so, and I think you uh, summarized that well, because like I said, what excites me is the ability to talk to industry experts that have all different perspectives. And as you pointed out, Nico, we weren't there, right? So it'd be different if we just sat and kind of pontificated between the two of us, never have been there. Uh, I don't know that people would get a whole lot out of it, but um, I, I am honored that you guys have uh, joined us today. And I'm really uh, interested to hear what your take is. So I guess let's start with, and I think you teed this up extremely well, that depending on the news source, right, wherever you may have gotten it from, and you can go put this into Google right now and get 30 different articles that have all different slants on COP in general. But there's still a large segment of the population that believes that this summit is just a bunch of billionaires flying around on private jets, burning fossil fuels while pretending they care about the environment. And and as Nico said, Fox News went so far as to call it the Super Bowl of virtue signaling. So since you all have firsthand experience, you were there, I'd like just to know, uh, you know, what you would say or what do you have to say to those folks that have that viewpoint? And how has attended COP since you've been there personally impacted your understanding of climate change. And I'll just go based on my screen. So um, Elizabeth, if you want to start, uh, that'd be great. Sure. Thanks so much. And thanks so much for having me, Nico and Nate. I'm really excited for this conversation today. Um, so as, as Nico said, I'm Elizabeth. I um, am the CDO at New Energy Nexus, which is a global nonprofit that provides funds, accelerators, training, and networks to drive clean energy innovation and adoption. So we started in California back in 2004. And today we are, and today our work spans 12 countries. So our vision is 100% clean energy for 100% of the population. 
And by the end of this critical decade, we want to support 100,000 clean energy entrepreneurs. So um, myself and a few others from my team were at COP. Um, it was my first time going. So uh, really uh, excited to share kind of what my experience was like. But specifically to your question, Nate, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, depending on the news source that you read, you might also have been listening to the news and frankly feel disappointed that maybe you feel like it wasn't enough um, and that the negotiations didn't go as far as you would have liked. So I think everyone's going to have their perspective. Personally, I uh, I was there for about 10 days and I left so energized, so inspired um, by the people that I met, the urgency that I felt on the ground and just the work that's happening day to day. Um, and just, you know, just some a few highlights from my experience that I think really speaks to the work that's happening in spite of I think what you might hear at the very high level, um, at the government level. Um, but I, I ended up going about two days in advance to Abu Dhabi where with one of our partners, Student Energy, was at the Student Energy Summit where they brought 500 students from around the world. Um, and, and honestly, the students that I met, how excited they are to be a part of the clean energy economy and how involved they want to be was really was really exciting. Um, Next was also chosen as COP28's partner for the clean, or excuse me, for the climate tech accelerator, um, for the climate tech startup accelerator, sorry, where we brought about 80 startups from around the world to COP um, to help them uh, with conversations with potential funders to expand their network um, and to just see that excitement among the startup community, investors, um, as well as well as other ecosystem players was, was also really exciting. Um, I was at a roundtable with the World Bank where we were talking about women climate entrepreneurs. Um, and I met some incredible women from across the Middle East and heard their stories about not only the technologies that they're developing and the challenges that they're experiencing, you know, primarily as really fundraising and networks, but also the opportunities in the region, uh, which I think we'll speak to later on in this podcast. And then finally, um, I think just the collaboration that I felt among the startup community, government, uh, the corporate and private sector, um, as well as some of the multilaterals. I, I was sitting on a panel with the co-founder of LinkedIn, um, the head or the president of the European Commission, um, as well as a couple other um, larger companies where we were talking about clean, uh, green jobs and the need for more green talent in order to really um, scale this clean energy transition and the focus of that conversation was really on the need for collaboration and obviously the need for more funding to go to support those ecosystems and to support that work. Um, I'll stop there. I have a lot more examples, but I um, I left exhausted, honestly. Um, after 10 days, I, I was not there the full two weeks, um, but I'm, I'm feeling really excited about the momentum. Obviously, the work starts, you know, now in terms of making sure that those conversations move forward, but um, my experience was really positive. That's great. Yeah, I I pulled that out. I can see seems like you're really busy. Um, so and I have a, a ton of follow up questions, and we'll circle back to those later. But I'd like to get uh, Steve brought in and get your take on how COP twenty eight personally impacted you. And I I believe this was your second one, so that might be a little bit interesting too. If you want to throw in some comparisons to this versus some of the other ones that you've been to. Oh, I'd like to say thank you, Nico and Nate, for uh, inviting me to your podcast and. Uh, to, yeah, the reference is COP26 in Scotland, um, in Glasgow, uh, which was a great COP in, you know, nothing against Scotland, but um, COP28 in uh, UAE and Dubai was, uh, you know, on a different level. It was a lot bigger. I think it was maybe 85 to 100,000 people. Um, the scale was uh, really incredible. So uh, going back to what Elizabeth said, just to follow on from there, I was there for 10 days as well. And the, you know, it, the, the folks that I met in, in the rooms uh, at Wall Street Journal event that was for two days, uh, the Bloomberg Green event, the S&P Global and COP itself were incredible. You know, like Elizabeth, I was on round tables with, you know, Anglo uh, American Mining Company, the largest mining company in the world. Uh, I met and spoke to Kate Brandt from Google. Um, the CSO for J&J, which is Paulette Frank, uh, and several other folks. Now, I should say that Utopia, we are a concentrated solar power company. And people say, what's that, right? You know, mm -hmm. so it is solar, but it's 
it's a different type of solar. We concentrate the light of the sun to create heat. And with that heat, we can then make electricity or we can use the heat to decarbonize harder to abate sectors of the economy like glass, steel, cement, aluminum, things that are very hard to decarbonize with solar panels. So, so heat was one of the topics of COP28. Um, you know, how do you actually decarbonize making glass or how do you decarbonize making concrete? And so you do it through heat. And uh, one of the days that I was there at COP, we went to um, the largest, uh, at least concentrated solar power tower in the world, which is called No One, which is just south of Dubai. Uh, we spent a day there with uh, several CEOs, several CSP companies. Um, a few of them, Heliogen was one. Vast um, was another. Heliogen's American, Vast is Australian. Uh, and yeah, the, um, the, the, the collaboration and the, the level of attendees as far as CEOs, CSOs, was incredible. And it was just a, a conversation and the side conversations and the deals that are done. It, you know, COP is a big political sort of thing that it's hard to really look at what you're going to get from it. But what I got from it is the fact that you can have these conversations and move the needle forward just a little bit on projects back in the US, maybe even projects in the UAE. So to Nate's point, you know, yeah, we, we could have a whole conversation about concentrated solar power. And what is it going to, the effect of it in the U.S. and how it can really bring down carbon levels in the U.S. So I'll, I'll just stop there for now. Awesome. Brad, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience? Yeah, uh, thanks for having me on the podcast, guys. Um, so Stephen and I were introduced to COP, um, well, introduced to um, this COP, COP28, uh, earlier this year. We were invited by the uh U.S. Chamber of Commerce to be part of their green tech de delegation to lead up to uh, COP28. So they brought us over to uh, UAE, um, spent time in Abu Dhabi, spent time in Dubai, meeting with some of the locals, uh, some of the uh, local government officials in the, the lead up to it. Um, and, and I don't think we really realized until the event, or at least I did, and Stephen, with his experience, he might have already realized uh going to cop 26 but uh i didn't realize how massive of an event this was going to be um you know we once we got to the event or leading up to the event there was so many different uh side events that were going on that we were getting invited to uh wall street journal um bloomberg um aws they were all having almost like their own events um or own cops in coordination with cop 28 um, and, and it was just, it, it, you know, it was a, a massive event with tons of other massive events, if that makes sense. So, you know, it, 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 I wasn't there for the full two weeks. Um, I don't know that any of us were there for the full two weeks. Um, I was there for about a week, but, uh, that week was exhausting. You know, it was, uh, you know, the, the cop, um, the side events, the evening events, morning events, um, just events left and right. Um, great interaction with uh, other individuals within the industry from from across the world, um, seeing what other people are doing in other countries, um, also seeing what other people are doing within other uh, industries besides solar. You know, I, I, you know, I'm focused on photovoltaics myself and, you know, O3 Energy, we're a, a CNI, a small utility uh, solar developer. So, you know, with RE plus and some of the solar events, we kind of get focused on that, but cop was bringing in all of these different technologies, all of these different parties that are focused on climate change. So we got to see how solar impacted the production of green hydrogen. Um, you know, how, what we do affects other people within, uh, the clean tech industry. So that, that, that was really exciting and uh, shows the bigger picture, which I, I think this event was meant to do. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, conference of parties. So all parties involved in trying to keep, uh, trying to keep us from hitting that 1.5. So um, yeah, it was a massive event. Hey, if you're looking for a way to maximize the ROI for your next utility project, I would like to point you to SunGrow's new SG4400 modular inverter. 
This new innovative solution will reduce capital and operating expenses because it arrives already on a skid with a step-up transformer. It's built using four 1100KW modules so that if one of them fails, well, the other three keep powering right on through as the DC and AC protection are completely separate between the modules. You can learn more about this fantastic new product and more at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. Last but certainly not least, Tito, what was your impressions? Hey, uh, so uh, quick background on, on air miners. We exist to empower risk takers to reverse climate change through carbon removal. Uh, I mean, of course, we have an accelerator program. We have an incredible community of experts in carbon rule. We have events, the education series, and an innovative fund. Our goal is to remove a billion tons of carbon from the air by carbon dioxide from the air by 2030. And so my impression of COP was, uh, you know, a week beforehand, I wasn't, I wasn't actually going. I was talking to my team about, you know, where's, where's the best place to be over the next couple of months um, in terms of meeting family offices, meeting venture capitalists, meeting uh, sovereign wealth funds about what's next for air miners and what's next for carbon rubble. Um, and one of the co-founders of air miners, Jason Gorillo, said, hey, you know, there's this meeting in the desert you might consider going to. Uh, and 80 minutes later, I had a hotel, I had a ticket, uh, and I was, I, I got on the plane, uh, in a, in a couple of days and headed to, headed to cop. So my impression of being a cop, I have this one, this one moment that I'm thinking about. I'm, I'm like, I'm running, I'm running through the cop, uh, expo city. I've got my belt, my, my wallet is in my hand. I'm like running, holding all this stuff. Cause you have to take all this stuff to get off. You know, it's like going through an airport, right? Look at all this stuff in my hands. Uh, and I'm running, I'm running, running, running. I'm running past dignitaries. I'm running past like, you know, popsicle salespeople. Um, it's super hot. Uh, I'm running because one of the startup companies that went through our accelerator program, Hive Geo, is they're doing this like media signing event for a grant they're, that they're going to get from the government, right? And I said I would be there. I, I said I would be there for like the signing of this thing. They're meeting the, the minister of the economy um, to get this grant. Um, you know, before the, the taxi had looped around cop like three times, it was their second day driving. They were like, where the heck is this stuff? Right. I mean, this is just, it's like going to Disneyland, right? It's just like, where the heck are you going? Um, and so that's, that's that moment where I'm like, I'm running, I've got everything in my hands and I made it. So I got to see, uh, Aziz, the CEO of, uh, of Hive Geo sign this deal to get, uh, capital for their, for their, for their company and for their team to be able to build a, a carbon rubble pilot plant, uh, taking carbon dioxide from the sky oh. using uh, using algae. So um, that's it. You can check them out. They're, uh, they did a press release uh, for HYVEGEO. Um, and you can check out more about about what they're up to. But that was like that was what my experience of COP was. Like sometimes I was running because I was there to make it happen. You should go school. That's great. Yeah, they had a scooter. I, I asked one of those, go, those uh, golf carts, right? I was like, hey, can you like no, get me there faster than running? And they were like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the theme I picked up from everybody that was that you were busy. There's a lot going on. And what I think is cool is, again, full circle back to how Nico kicked this off is you could just see just from this panel, the diversity of people that are doing different things in renewables. And, and that's what's really great about the industry pulse. But what I want to kind of piggyback on Tito and your story, and I guess maybe back to Elizabeth, did you have any specific moments or conversations like that that la left a lasting impression on you? Or, um, you know, is there anything that was there that just kind of surprised you? Yeah, I, I think two things. One is just how how big it was, literally, like, I think it spanned a couple miles. I mean, so you were just walking a lot. And I've seen a lot a lot of memes where people are dressed in suits but wearing tennis shoes. And that that was really the vibe there, honestly, is because you were walking everywhere. And it was really hard, to Tito's point, to get to get picked up. by the, They did have these, like, go-karts, but I don't know how. I'm not sure how they chose who was able to ride them. Um, but I, I think for someone going the first time, there's these things called pavilions, and there's literally like a hundred of hundreds of them. Any country, organization, company, um, group, theme, literally anybody can have a pavilion. Um, and I was I was just so surprised by the number of sessions that were happening 
simultaneously, both in the blue zone and green green zone. Um, blue zone being where a lot of the kind of high level government discussions were happening, and then green zone where a lot of the private sector events were happening. Um, and so, you know, for me, just trying to, um, as somebody wearing a business development hat and trying to make sure I was able to go to all the right meetings and have the right conversations, I was just surprised by the amount of things happening um, that were happening there. I think one thing that really stuck with me that for me moving forward has been really helpful was actually the first day I was able to listen to some of the high-level conversations. And there was a tagline that was said that I think was used a lot at at this year's COP, which was pro-growth, pro-climate. And I really like that because, um, and I think Nate, this goes back to your original question about some of the naysayers or people that kind of don't believe what's happening at COP, but I really think for us to have this clean energy transition and for it to be an inclusive one, you have to talk about the economic development opportunities and the job opportunities and just the opportunities that are going to be available and also where they're going to be available. And and for us at New Energy Nexus, because we focus our work so much across Asia and Africa, we know we were really there to kind of help elevate the stories and the role that entrepreneurs play in this climate solutions movement, but also why parts, many parts of the global South are very critical and necessary for this transition and also why it's important that they're involved. And so I just love that tagline. And I think particularly because we're also doing a lot within the green skill space, I just find that um, really fitting for that work. And so that was just something that really stuck with me that I brought back to my team and, you know, starting to use now with our partners and, and funders. Yeah, and I'm going to resist the urge to rabbit trail down that because I could uh, ask you a bunch. What I want to pull out is it, it It sounds like, again, diverse background of panelists here. Everybody was there. And I, it sounds like you're very busy the whole time, but I'm sure you each had your own specific agenda. And I'm curious, Steve, what was the reason that you attended? Like, what were your goals? Do you feel like you made progress towards those? I know you you talked about some of the things that I'm sure left a lasting impression to some of the people you met and kind of rubbing elbows in those circles. But at the end of the day, you know, what were you trying to accomplish while you're with your time there? Well, I had to buy uh, band-aids for my elbows. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so we had, uh, just going back to what Elizabeth said, we actually had a pavilion in the startup section. So... That was one of the reasons why I was there to uh, showcase our technology. Um, and the other reason uh, was to, you know, just to be there. I mean, it would be weird if I wasn't there. That's the way I looked at it, mate. Uh, and then the other thing is there were a lot of, I can talk about a lot of different things, but given the time is, you know, to be times of the essence. One, one thing that I got out of this was there was this place called Uptown Dubai. I think I went there with Brett. Uh, and this this building is designed like the World Trade Center, the new Freedom Tower. And the owner of the building is a sheikh. And he said, you know what? We need two megawatts of electricity. You know, it, it, the, and then, then like, we're like, yeah, sure. And we sat down with them right there in that building. And, and the building is absolutely beautiful. And there were opportunities just like that just to do deals right there, you know, um, and and uh, so for me that was amazing. And the the people like I I think I saw John Kerry. I think there's two John Kerrys, right? Because he was everywhere, okay. right? Um, but yeah, it was just the for me. It was the ability to meet Shakes. I met the president of COP, not 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 Al Jaber, but the one right under him. And we were just talking about technology, like Brad said, he was talking about green hydrogen. For those of you who don't know, um, all the oil and gas companies. They're putting their bets on hydrogen, right? That's so right. Over the next 15 years, 10, 15 years, oil's going to be there, but they're all shifting towards hydrogen, whether it's green, blue, turquoise, you know, all the different colors of hydrogen. So um, we're working on a project right now where we're uh, doing green electricity 24-7 to power electrolyzers to make green mm-hmm. hydrogen. So this idea yeah. of, you know, co just being a big political thing, and I, I agree with Elizabeth. You know, there's a ton of jobs. This is the future. You know, people that they should really think about because with AI, generative AI, a lot of jobs are going to be, you know, gone. So this is a good space to be. And if you want to work for Utopia, <laughs> reach out yeah. to me. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's quite yeah, all right. I don't mind at all. I think uh, also uh, 
to to prove his uh, elbow rubbing spread. <laughs> just for those who are watching on uh, on YouTube, uh, just to prove Steve's elbow rubbing cred there. He, <laughs> I don't know if that was superimposed, but uh, I also very good. I also thought it'd be fun. I thought it'd be fun to share. Steve had the was uh, best shoes at the show. I think these are my favorite. These are my favorite. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Thanks for sharing the uh, amazing photos. Like I felt like I was getting a, a live stream of Steve's activity while he Steve was got there. Steve got there a little bit before I did, and he he messaged me and was like, "Bring your sneakers, you know, like it's gonna be like, hey, what are we wearing? It's like, suit up, but with sneakers." <laughs> That's amazing. So, so Brad, I know you had said, um, give us a little bit of history about why you went. What, what were your goals there? Do you feel like you moved the needle at all personally? Honestly, I, I didn't really go with an agenda or with any sort of like overarching goal. Um, I needed to come to, uh, to Dubai for some other business activities that we're working on, uh, closing out some funding. Um, we, I was part of the COP, uh, lead up to COP28, um, you know, with the, the green tech delegation. So, you know, I, I wanted to be a part of it. I saw, you know, the, the individuals that were, going to be a part of it. Um, some of the things that they're doing here in the UAE, they're very forward thinking and very open to new technologies, new uh, growth. Um, and so I was kind of coming open-minded to experience it. I've never been to a cop before. Uh, my only experiences with events have been ones within the solar space. So like RE+, InterSolar, um, uh, those sorts of of uh, events. So I really did not know what to think about it. I kind of came with an open mind um, just to see what I could, um, what I could find during that time. And honestly, there was so much to, to, to do and to, to learn. And um, like Elizabeth was saying, I mean, there's, there was, you you try to plan, you know, Hey, how am I going to maximize this trip? And pretty much every session that they had, even if they were, you know, multiple ones that were overlapping each other, it's like, just choose one. It's going to be beneficial. Like everything that they had was, was very beneficial. Um, I I learned so much about green hydrogen, never knew anything about it really before this trip. Um, there were so many sessions about that. Um, went to, uh, AWS, Amazon web services. They had a, uh, a clean tech accelerator, that they, uh, each person that, or each group that was in their accelerator presented and went over their technologies and things like that. I learned so much about these new up and coming technologies that are on the way. It, it was just so much within the industry. And, and I, I don't know how you guys are, but you know, you're in the industry for a reason. You enjoy it. So, you know, I, I love learning about these new technologies and learning about things that are outside of my normal day to day within. Uh, climate tech. And so that's kind of why I came and what I enjoyed out of it. There was a uh, a great article. We'll link to a bunch of the articles that we read for what it's worth. Uh, folks that want to uh, follow along, we'll link to it um, so you can learn more about some of the things. But going in, there were a lot of things around the stock take, the loss and damage fund, fossil fuel non-proliferation treaty started to gather a lot of momentum on day zero. Um, and, and I'm curious, especially for a person like Tito, like you, who literally like the week before or a day before decided to go, not for the purpose of walking around in any of the zones or any knowledge of what the zones were, what were the conversations that you engaged in or that you overheard? Were people outside of the actual negotiations of the conference of parties where they're talking about the loss and damage fund, where they're talking about non-proliferation treaty, were people talking about that? Or was it like any other conference? You know, what did you experience there? Yeah, so uh, like Elizabeth talked about, there's the, the the blue zone. That's where the actual like government state level negotiations are happening for for all this stuff. I was in the green zone. Um, and your your question is, you know, were people what were people talking about? Were they mm-hmm. talking about what was happening at COP? Um, my conversations were really in the in, in the world of like what's happening in carbon mm-hmm. removal. There were, so, so at COP, there were 78 events about carbon removal wow. happening throughout the two weeks. So the website carbonremovals.org was, was tracking all of it, right? So all the different aspects of carbon removal, 
Uh, there was a, a, a big announcement from Frontier about making a $57 million commitment to purchasing carbon removal credits from Lethos, which is a, a company that removes carbon dioxide from the air using rocks. <laughs> um, there was also this conversation around uh, Article 6.4, which is about how the, uh, specifically around how carbon removal credits are standardized and traded. Uh, and that was something that uh, I had been in Bonn at the uh, previous UN meeting uh, in Bonn, Switzerland, where they were working on how to, how to talk about carbon removal. Is it something that, um, from, a, from, a, from the perspective of the article, do we set the standard of, of that carbon gets removed or about how it gets removed? Um, and as air miners, we had 153 people sign a letter to the UN that was about encouraging that, that Article 6.4 to really say, look, we need to remove carbon from the sky. <laughs> Here's how much we need to remove. Here's the, 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 how long it needs to get removed for, but to stay away from you know, exactly how it gets removed. Does it get removed using trees or plants or rocks or oceans or machines? Um, and so that was in the conversation there was discussion around what was happening with, with Article 6.4. Uh, it sounds like it uh, didn't get decided at CUP, um, but that was one of the things that, that was kind of a conversation in the blue zone uh, in, the, in, those, in those negotiations that then was, was uh, you know, in, in the conversation, you know, at the startup level um, outside of, outside of the negotiations. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I know, um, I kind of want to piggyback off that. We talked about a little bit, what your experiences were, what your goals were, some of the things that you've done and, uh, lasting impressions. But at the end of the day, what it's really world leaders gathering to work together on solutions to tackle climate change. So I guess I'd like to kind of bring this maybe zoom out, maybe, I, I don't know what the right word would be, but just at a high level, in your opinion, do you think that this was a successful climate summit? And ultimately, um, what do you think it means for climate and the renewable energy sector in general? And I don't know if we want to go, maybe, maybe Steve, if you want to start. You're on, you're on mute. You're on mute, Steve. It sounds really eloquent, though. <laughs> <laughs> the lip, if, if you can lip read, yeah. <laughs> No, still unmute. Still unmuted. Still muted. Let's see. I can't unmute you, Steve. Hmm. Uh oh. Technical glitch. Oh, he's still talking. Does Kenny hear us? <laughs> I don't well, think so. Yeah, let's transition. Right, there we go. <laughs> so erstwhile as well. Your facial expressions, you know, we were trying to understand it from that, but. So, yes, the answer is yes. Uh, it was successful, but that is, you know, dependent on your perspective, what lens you're looking through. The it was I'll tell you a funny story. When I was coming back from car, based flew through Switzerland um, and Zurich, and I remember I was getting some gifts and some things in the gift shop, and this guy asked me, "Is that you coming back from COP?" I said, "Yeah." I, and he goes, "Oh yeah, you know, I heard that Putin was there. You know, we I, I think it's just a big scat." He had this really negative <clears throat> view of COP, and I, you know, so I had to kind of tell him, I was like, "No, it was really wonderful. It was really a good thing." There's a lot of money. It's, it's very hard to turn around the Titanic, you know? So I, I was able to convince him, that one guy, that it was a good, and he, he's like thanking me afterwards. But your question, Nate, is, you know, depending on, you know, who you're getting your source of information from, it could be considered negative. Like you said, you're mm -hmm. flying halfway around the world. There's all kinds of carbon being generated from these people. Mm -hmm. So, um, but if we weren't going to do this, I think it'd be a disaster. In, in the next 15, 20 years. So I think we, we made some, there's a bunch of loopholes in what they, what they signed, but at least we're moving the needle forward. That's what I would say. So, yeah, I mean, we have reoccurring theme, right? Depends on your kind of your slant or where you get your news or what you know about it. And I'm sure everyone has their own opinion, but this kind of your story of leads me to the next question and I'll leave it open for whoever wants to jump in. But I mean, how did you perceive at the event the level of global collaboration and just general commitment. I mean, what, what we haven't really even talked about yet, we talked about flying there with fossil fuels, but we haven't talked about the fact that it's in Dubai, right? We're talking about eliminating fossil fuels in an area of the world that is largely run um, because of their resources, which are these fossil fuels. So again, I, I'm just curious for anyone who wants to take that one, just what, what your... Um, 
level, uh, what you thought the level of global collaboration was, or just kind of what your perspective was on, uh, to that end? So I can jump in on this one. Um, I, I, you know, uh, coming from Texas, you know, Texas is a uh, oil rich state, oil and gas culture. Um, now we're also the number one renewable energy state. If you start looking at the numbers, um, you know, it takes some time to transition, right? You know, we, we, we got to this point. It wasn't overnight. It was over a hundred years. It's going to take us a little bit of time to get out of this. Um, and, you know, spending the time that I have in the, in the UAE, um, you know, it may have been a country that was, you know, that profited a lot off of oil and gas, but they are very open to new technology and they realize that times change and that times are changing and very focused on, um, diversification. Um, you know, the, the chatter at COP, there was a lot of negativity from just some of the chatter about, you know, fossil fuels and things like that. But those same groups are going to need to be part of the solution. You know, these oil and gas companies, these oil and gas countries, they're going to have to be part of those talks. You can't just exclude them ex and expect things to change. Um, that was, I think, the biggest positive outcome from this uh, COP was, you know, the lead up, I think it was the day before the chatter was, you know, and, and during the day, you go to all the the speeches, the um, seminars, everything like that. And then at night, you know, everybody's going to the to the parties or the happy hours and, you know, in t-shirts, you know, people get a little bit of drinks in them and you actually hear what people's real thoughts are. Right. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so, you know, so you, you heard those thoughts in the evenings and the, and the chatter, you know, throughout the week up until the end was, you know, what, you know, that doesn't seem like there's anything coming out of this. It doesn't seem like, you know, the oil companies, the, you know, uh, countries, you know, are really having a pull in this. And then the last day that all changed. Whenever you started seeing that, hey, we are going to get a phase out of fossil fuels built into the overall uh, agreement and the documentation for COP. And I believe that sentiment totally changed on that last day because of that. Um, you know, I think that was the right push um, it, and it made it worthwhile. In a world where lots of solar technology providers seem to blend together and have little differentiation, it truly is necessary that you are able to dig deeper, get more resources and tools, and have more breadth of opportunity to learn and share with your core partners. Trina Solar is leaning in to the many requests for the Trina Hub, the new global partner portal dedicated to giving partner training courses and certifications, as well as a full asset library of pre-built and co-branded marketing resources for channel support. I'd like to encourage you to try Trina Hub for yourself. See how it helps grow your solar business and develop or enhance your digital marketing ecosystem. Learn more and sign up today at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Hey friends. I have a proposition for you. Instead of freezing your tail off like I am here in North Carolina, why don't you jump on a plane, come to San Diego, January 17th to 19th, and hang out with us at InterSolar. InterSolar North America and Energy Storage North America, as you're probably aware, one of the premier U.S.-based trade show and conferences focused on solar energy storage and EV charging infrastructure. Suncast listeners can get free access to the expo hall by using the code SUNCAST at intersolar.us. That code will also get you 20% off your conference pass to learn, connect, and conduct business with the most innovative companies in the solar and energy storage business. Go to intersolar.us, use the code SUNCAST. And hey, don't forget to stick around all the way through Friday because yours truly may be on stage at the Solar Games. Come check it out. See you in San Diego. I think one of the things uh, that I am asking myself, apart from will I go to the next cop, is where you know, with the with the exception of Brad, everyone else has come home, and the experience is you go to these places, and then I, I was a Peace Corps volunteer, and I went down uh, into developing country and worked for a while, and the point was to come home and actually uh, share a different perspective, not just of the U.S. abroad, but 
abroad to the U.S. And, you know, Nathan kicked it off by saying, hey, the great irony is that billionaires are flying to one of the largest oil-rich states to talk about how we should stop using oil. And um, I spent a fair amount of time in New York back in September during Climate Week. Um, I wonder if what we're seeing, instead of the conversation next year being about Azerbaijan, where the next cop is, or in COP20 or COP30, I think uh, it being in Brazil, if we're really talking about how this finally, after 28 COPs, starts to break into regional thought centers um, like New York City Climate Week. What are you guys' thoughts on the possibility for the momentum to away from needing the UN to have a climate of parties every year and actually the the states and the regions starting to take ownership of the climate change necessities uh, required of them? Well, I mean, if you look at it, that's what it's supposed to be, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a conference of parties, it's United Nations, but at the end of the day, each nation has to actually emphasize and enforce their part of the overall plan. Um, so it, it has to be that way. And that's just the overall way it's set up. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of the day, the United Nations doesn't really, I mean, they can, they can say some things here and there, but them themselves, they, they, they can't actually create the laws. They can't it create the country level regulations. It really requires, you know, the, the parties that are involved to make that action. So, uh, I mean, I, I think that um, if you're looking for action, I, I think that that is already happening as far as the way you laid it out, Nico. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're looking for events in e- each one of these, I, I don't know that that's necessarily happening. Maybe, you know, maybe they do have regional cops. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Just, I, I guess at a macro level, I'm wondering about the relative importance of cop moving forward. And so something that, oh, sorry. <laughs> go ahead, so, go ahead, Steve. No, I was going to say something that Brad just said. Um, about fossil fuel companies, you know, being a part of the solution. Um, there, there's something that came out of co-op that said the climate, that they actually wrote into the, the solution, the climate crisis is a fossil fuel crisis. Now, they weren't able to say that officially in any of the COPs. So this is a COP where now they've actually admitted in writing that the climate crisis is a fossil fuel crisis. So... It's like game on now, right? We have to do something. We all know now this is not a hoax, you know? So I think what, yeah. what Brad is saying is is 100% right. And, you know, COP is just one event, you know, and, and there's a lot of money tied up with these oil companies. They make billions and billions of dollars every quarter and they don't want to lose their money. So it's, it's not an easy solution. But just last thing is, I always say this, uh, Saudi Arabia, which is the second largest producer of oil in the world, they have a plot of land the size of Belgium, the size of Belgium, <laughs> and they're making green hydrogen there. So what does that say? It means Saudi Arabia is putting their bets on the future of in green hydrogen and not in oil. So it's not going to happen overnight. I would say 15, 20 years from now, you're going to see more green hydrogen coming out of Saudi right. Arabia than you will see oil. Yeah. Nico, the thing. Neom Project, that's what it's called, the Neom Project. Neom. Yeah. Elizabeth? I think just to kind of go back to your question about the role of the country and who hosts it, whether it's regional, for me, honestly, what I what I took from COP is, yes, those high-level conversations are important. Governments obviously set the targets. Yeah. Um, they, you know, have, um, are able to then control, like, the incentives, taxes, just the, um, the systems in which we all operate. But for me... COP really elevated all the other stakeholders that are doing the work and have such a critical role to play that that was all happening, I think, regardless of what the outcome of these high-level talks were. And that, for me, was the, that energizing piece. And so I think no matter where it is, you're still going to have civil society, private sector more engaged, um, your local governments and local city jurist, um, you know, um, stakeholders, um, your startups. Um, your youth and students that are doing the work. Um, And I think we have to keep remembering that. And I think, and then Nate, to kind of one thing you said about takeaways and successes, I believe COP28 was the first year in which innovation was a theme. So um, how COP works is for the 12 or 14 days, I forget, every day has a specific theme. And this was the first year that innovation was kind of threaded throughout the whole COP. Um, 
in so much that in the green zone, there was a technology and innovation hub, like this huge building where you had a lot of those types of conversations happening. Um, and for, for me, someone that works for an accelerator and is working with startups and the private sector, that was, that was really exciting. And, and the fact that, you know, moving forward, I think innovation will continue to play a really big role at COP is really promising, I think, for the startup community. And Tito, you probably feel very similar, you know, working for an accelerator yourself. Yeah, totally. I mean, the value for, for startup companies that were on the ground there, uh, we had four companies from our accelerator mm-hmm. program working on different methods of carbon removal. Each of them was, you know, they were, they were out meeting venture capitalists, they were out meeting family foundations. And when I say out meeting, like I would, I would be passing people in the, you know, the long haul of the, of the, of the, uh, cop grounds, right? Like seeing, okay, Hey, there, those guys are connecting with this foundation or that guy's talking to, uh, this investor. Um, yeah, we had, we had a company doing, uh, ocean-based carbon removal, another doing algae-based carbon removal, uh, another doing agriculture-based carbon removal. And they're doing uh, enhanced rock weathering, which is taking carbon out of the sky using using rocks. Um, and they were all there working on getting connected to to people who could fund what they were doing or support what they were doing in some way. Um, and so, yeah, outside of the negotiation aspect of it, it was it was the place to be that week if you wanted to connect to uh, supporters for uh, for early stage startup companies and and action on on climate. That's interesting. And, you know, one thing I think I'd be remiss not to pull out, too, and, and maybe this isn't the case, but from all the articles I read, the a theme that I was picking up on that I don't think we really touched upon yet was a lot of focus on environmental justice and equity for because, as we know, climate change really affects the people that are are generally in the energy impoverished areas more than others. And I'm just curious, to what extent did you guys get that theme? Because that's what I'm reading, but I wasn't there. So do you feel that w- that was a main topic as well, in addition to technology and the other things that Elizabeth and Tito just discussed? Yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to talk about it for a little bit. Um, I was at this building called uh, DMCC Uptown Dubai, and they had a whole session on climate justice. And I met a lot of folks from the um, <clears throat> the HBCU funds. Uh, they uh, and some of the folks in, in the U.S., uh, they're very focused on uh, climate equity. Uh, and it was a really wonderful session that, that I participate, what I sat in the audience, but just to listen, uh, you know, to how they want to just, we want to share the wealth, right? Because, you know, we know that there's a transition going on. There's a lot of money to be made. Um, and once that gets locked in, you know, certain people are going to be left out. Uh, we're working on a, a project right now with an indigenous or native tribe. Uh, and this tribe is uh, really, you know, really good. They, they have their own microgrid and they want to wash, rinse and repeat for all the Indian, uh, I shouldn't say native tribes around the country. So there's a lot of wealth in energy. And I think that climate justice is uh, something that, you know, it's not on the back burner anymore. I think that the government, you know, it's this, government, maybe future governments, this is going to be a part of the future. We can't leave people out. Uh, It's just not the right thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I've always had kind of my thoughts on the, on the matter. And the reason why I asked is because when you think about just global warming, climate change in general, to get people to really care, especially in, in third world countries or people that don't have access to, to energy, right. Where they're burning wood or, coal or whatever, or plastic in a lot of cases, just to to cook uh, or keep themselves warm. It almost seems like a global problem where we got to get people out of poverty so they can start caring, you know, about EVs and, and other things, um, because there is a, a large portion of the world that still doesn't have access to energy. So I, I applaud, Steve, you, you uh, spreading that out through tribes. I'm actually doing something very similar at, at the end of this year. I'm um, headed to Brazil to do some solar for an indigenous tribe that, and it's just to power a water pump, right? So they can have access to, to clean Let, water. Let's talk, let's talk afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of tough to, it's kind of tough to, uh, you know, worry about what's going to happen with the planet next year whenever you're trying to figure out how your family's going to survive till tomorrow, right? So, yeah, exactly. you know, I yeah, we think, touched- uh, I've heard that that argument before, and I think it makes a lot of sense that poverty, you know, bringing people out of poverty is probably 
will have the biggest impact on climate change. Appreciate all the perspectives here. And I want to be mindful of those who uh, at the top of the hour are going to have to dip away. I want to bring this perhaps to, uh, I'm not sure that we can bring it to a conclusion, but I do want to hear thoughts from folks that are all involved in some aspect of uh, bringing climate tech to bear, right? Through whether it's PV or concentrating PV, whether it's sucking carbon out of the air or empowering, um, which uh, both Tito and Elizabeth do, entrepreneurs through aggregating capital and helping uh, bring it to the market. Um, probably my favorite meme from the whole <laughs> conference is this one. So I'm going to share it for everyone that's, on, that's, uh, that's able to see us live. And it says, man announces he will quit drinking by 2050. And of course, this is tongue in cheek. And of course, humor works because it points to the obvious fact, you know, that um, while someone might say they're going to quit drinking, if they wait till 2049 to really start reducing consumption, is that healthy for their body? Is that healthy for uh, our planet, right? Um, so is there, is there real teeth? So the question here is um, kind of who, uh, who won? That article that uh, we'll share again that Brad mentioned from the Chamber of Commerce puts it really well. Um, there's a lot of folks are talking about who won. Um, and so I'd like to hear from you guys, your perspectives. We've got the, the presumption that we're going to wean the world off of fossil fuels now based on 200 company countries saying we all sign on to this thing that says we'll stop drinking in you know, 25 years. Um, I'll let you go in the order that uh, that you need to. Maybe we'll start with Elizabeth first since uh, to Nate's point. She's uh, on the top of the screen here and I think she may have to dip out first. Yeah, thanks, Nico. Um, no, it's an interesting question. Um, honestly, I don't, I don't think anyone's winning. Um, if you look at like the number of countries that are sinking, um, the natural disasters that are going on. Um, yes, we've made progress. And, you know, there were some good things that came out of COP. There is still so much we have to do. And I, I would still like to see more urgency in this, mm -hmm. what we're calling the this, this critical decade. And for, for us, for New Energy Nexus, um, you know, the conversations were great at COP and it's always great to see people in person and to have those um, you know, to, to go deep about different opportunities and partnership opportunities and, and talk through proposals and, um, you know, meet new potential partners. But, you know, you obviously have to continue those conversations and then get things to the finish line. And, and particularly for our startups, it's, it's about financing and money and funding. And that needs to, we need more of that for clean energy innovation and technology. And we need it to be going more to places where, where where we need it most, and that is across the global south, including you know Asia and Africa. I think in 2022, um, of philanthropy, only two percent is going to climate, wow. which is crazy if you think about that. And and of that two percent, way less is going to Asia and Africa. Um, and there's so much opportunity there. Um, and so I I think we just need to keep the conversations going. We need more. We we need more private sector to be financing this. Uh, more government, private sector, public sector collaboration. Um, philanthropy has a really big role to play in helping to to fund some of this work. Um, so I, I just want to keep the momentum from COP and take that into into 2024. Uh, no, in my opinion, I think uh, the proof is in the pudding, right? So I, I don't know if winning is the right term. I think that the fact that there were so many, the cluster of uh, thought leaders in one place, that's how you get stuff done. You know, like Elizabeth said, you know, people are touching, they're talking, looking in each other's eyes. I think that's how you get things done. Um, There's still a lot to do, and I don't think it's going to happen overnight. That's my that's my opinion. But it was it was a very good cop, that's for sure. Yeah, I think uh, you know, Nico. I think it's a catch twenty two, right? Like, um, you know, just like any goal, you want to set a goal that's realistic as far as time frame, and this is not something that's going to happen overnight. But you also want to create that urgency to have people run out and make that change. Whenever we're talking about, you know, an entire planet, you know, how many people are here? Uh, seven billion, I think. You know, it's tough to move seven billion quickly. Um, and, and I think, you know, to keep goals realistic, um, you know, I think it is going to take a little bit of time. And so, you know, I, 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 I think that there's, was it recently Bill Gates was talking about, um, uh, quantifying things based off of, I think it was the, the cost of green. Um, and you know, some of our, some of, some of the products have gotten there to where the cost to greenify something versus 
the cost of it, you know, as it as it has been, wherever it wasn't green, you know, in some of those areas, it's gotten to wherever they're they're this, the cost is the same. But in other in other areas, the cost is 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 there's still huge margin between the cost of that from a green source versus a non green source. Um, and so, you know, y- you have different areas of the market wherever we're really seeing a lot of success and we're probably beating the target. And then you have some other areas wherever we're probably a little bit behind. Um, so, you know, putting, I think the meme, I guess, uh, you know, is, 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 is a very broad, uh, assumption of everything. And I, I think you kind of got to look at the nuances. Tito. Yeah. Uh, as my, as my first cop. Uh, attending my first scop. I mean, you know, what I was, what I was struck by is if you, if you, according to the best climate scientists in the world, decarbonization alone isn't enough to get us to a stable climate. We also need to be removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. Uh, if you, according to the IPCC climate models, it's something like 10 billion tons of carbon dioxide every year starting in 2050. That's, that's, almost a million fold what current capacity is. So the gap is huge. Like where we need to get with carbon removal is very different than where we are today. Um, 77 events at COF 28 about carbon removal. Uh, Frontier is the largest purchase ever of uh, $57 million from Lethos Carbon. Those are the types of steps that get us to 10 billion tons of carbon removal per year. Uh, and 77 events is how we get to a point where you know, the conversation is that decarbonization isn't enough by itself. We need decarbonization and removal. Uh, and so what one at COP is, is, a, is, a, is a balanced climate where we need decarbonization and removal together. I love that we have uh, representation from all different sectors. Uh, I think, Elizabeth, you're going to need to drop off. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much. Um, it's great discussion. And um, everyone keep Keep up the good work and keep up the fight. <laughs> it's so good to have you here, Elizabeth. Uh, as we wrap, um, really grateful for the contribution from Elizabeth. Such a, uh, such a great work that they're doing with New Energy Nexus, supporting entrepreneurs around the world in uh, a lot of the same ways that you are, Tito, with the Accelerator. Um, folks, I wish we had uh, more time. I have. There are so many fun stories. I would encourage folks to uh, reach out to each one of you. So, I'd like to, as we wrap, uh, as I normally do on Suncast, ask, uh, and I'll say on behalf of Elizabeth, I know that she likes to be found on LinkedIn. She's very active there. Um, You can find her easily. That will link to in the show notes how you can reach Elizabeth. Um, So let's go Tito, Brad, Steve. How do you like to be found if folks want to follow up and learn more about you or hear your fun stories or dig in on your technology? All right. Find me on uh, at airminers, airminers.org. My email is tito at airminers.org. We've got a lot of new initiatives coming up. We've got our event series. We've got our six-week sprint to learn about carbon removal called Airminers Boot Up. Nice. Our accelerator, uh, January 11th, is the next batch of applications. Our new innovative fund called Kiloton Fund. We had 120 applicants from startups, and we're working on making those investments now. Um, so anybody who's interested in, in learning more about that uh, can can get in contact. Um, and yeah, uh, airminers.org, that's where to find me. Brand? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought we were with Steve. For, um, yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn is perfect. Um, I mean, you can plug in Brad's, that's my O3 Energy. I'll pop right up. Uh, shoot me a message through there. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, you can also reach out to me through our website, uh, O3Energy.com uh, as well. And real quick, um, the best place to be for me is also LinkedIn. Uh, Steve Anglin, and I'm the one with the he, him, and L MBA. That's me on LinkedIn. Um, L stands, it, it's he in Spanish, right? You know, there you go. Um, and uh, as far as the website is concerned, it's uh, www.utopio.com. Mm-hmm. You can learn all about what we're doing. Um, and excited if you want to reach out, I'll even give you my phone number, which is 732-579-7014. If you'd like to call me, talk about what we're doing, and learn more about CSP, I'm happy to do that. There we go. And uh, once again, my name is Nico. I, uh, if you're listening on Suncast podcast, I would encourage you to go over and subscribe to 
this guy's podcast. Nate, go ahead and say goodbye mm-hmm. and let them know how they can find you. As Yeah, I think uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's where I do most of my interaction. So um, everyone that messaged me, you'll get a message back. I can pretty much guarantee that. Unless you're trying to sell me more solar leads, I have plenty. More solar panels. <laughs> everyone here knows what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> everyone uh, that's so yeah, solar, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so you can check me out there. And as Nico alluded to, I have... Um, a podcast as well. It's called Limitless with Nathan Jovanella. You can find that on Spotify or iTunes or uh, where it's most consumed, which is on on LinkedIn. So appreciate you guys all coming and giving us a little bit more insight uh, into what what is like to be there. Um, and I, I, I found it very fascinating. So I appreciate everyone's time. Thank you for joining us. Suncast as well as uh, Industry Pulse is produced by Resource Labs our curated community of creators bringing voice to the climate and clean energy transition. Thank you all, Tito, Brad, Steve, and Elizabeth. Thanks everyone who joined us, mostly on LinkedIn. I think our biggest audience to Nate's point was on LinkedIn today watching live. If you also want to watch live, keep an eye out, go to Resource Labs and subscribe to Industry Pulse, learn more about Nate's podcast and all of our other fun stuff happening, resourcelabs.co. Signing off here on this lovely Wednesday. Oh, and... Merry Christmas to those of you who celebrate. Happy holidays to everyone else. 